Amen. You know, one of our uh, one of our great desires is to bring you to a place where you actually believe the truth. Boy, it got quiet there, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, we just want you to believe the truth, right? I think it's Third John. Can't remember what verse where it says. I have, there's no greater joy than to know that my children walk in the truth. As you just walk, that we go through life without deception, in the light. You know, Jesus is the light. And I think some of us are actually looking for a beam, you know, a flashlight or a candle. No, he's the light. He, he, he's revelation. He's insight and understanding. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy people, peculiar people. King James says peculiar. I, I don't like to use that version because we just think when we hear the word peculiar that what we need to do is act really weird. And, and that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about you're special. There's something different about you because you've been called out of darkness, translated into the marvelous light of God's dear son that you might show forth the entire power of him who called you. You, you know, if, if, we, if we believe the Bible, the, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is now operating inside of each and every one of us, right? If the Spirit of God dwells in you, when you get born again, you step into eternal life. A lot of people are waiting until they die for eternal life to kick in. And it's kind of sad that you're not going to really experience God life till you're dead. Well, yeah, but we, eternity goes for, what about now? You know, we grew up singing in the sweet by and by, but what about the nasty here and now? How about we have some God life now? Because eternal life simply means life everlasting or more life than death. Right? Zoe, the Greek word for life, God life, is more life than death, more joy than sorrow, more hope than despair, more health than sickness, more provision than lack. Is Life in abundance to the top till it overflows. That's the life that Jesus came to reconnect mankind to. And you don't have to wait till you're dead to know eternal life. Eternal life starts when you're born again, and all of a sudden your spirit comes alive, and the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead has now quickened your mortal body. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is operating inside of you. That's why Paul said, I'm ready for anything equal to anything that comes my way through Christ who is infusing me with an inner strength. I've got what it takes to win and succeed in any given situation. It doesn't make any difference what I face. I may not like it, but I can kick some devil booty here. Not every day is going to be cake and ice cream. There's some hard days in life. How many have experienced that? Jesus, you know, that's one of the promises that very few people, you know, have on the refrigerator because they don't, they, they don't understand it. In this world, there should be tribulation. Yes. But be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. I've overcome that. If you're in Christ, you're already a world overcomer. And the power of God that raised him from the dead is going to raise you up going to elevate you, going to empower you. you. Life gets better when you show up. You know, it's so weird to me sometimes. This is just one of the things I have to wrestle with. It's like, well, we're going we're gonna to teach people to prosper, and they, and they get mad. 
don't you want to? We're going to teach people to walk in victory, and they get mad because we'd rather justify the existence of our failure than cross the threshold into victory. It's been a problem since Cain and Abel. You know, he killed his brother rather than be compared to him. The deal is, is that God wants you to prosper. He, he needs you to prosper. In order, in order to serve God, you've got to prosper. You got, well, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you. Well, if God's plan is to prosper you and you're not prospering, then you must be living outside God's plan. And when we hear prosper, we think, all we think is money, and that's because we're stupid. Prosper means, you know, it, it's every area of my life. My family needs to get strong. My relationships need to get better. My body needs to prosper. My mind needs to prosper. Hello. Right? As a, as a corporate body, we, we've got to prosper. We've got to increase. We've got to grow. You're not simply accountable to God for that which you possess, but you're also accountable to God for the potential that's locked inside that which you possess. Everything that God put in your hand, he intends for you to make better. And the reason he knows you can is because you came out of him. Man, human, human. Everybody say human. Human. Human is two words put together to make one word. It's humus, dirt, man, spirit. Okay, humus, your body's dirt. But man, your spirit, it ain't dirt. You came right, you came right out of God. And God's a good God. So if you came out of God, then... The spirit of God that's inside of you is good too, right? So you're good. You're, I said you're good. The word good means something that gives of itself for the betterment of its environment. You know, the sun, he said it is good. Why? Because it gives off heat, it light. It's good. It gives of itself. Well, you came out of God. You're good. You're good. Here, here's why the, why, why the enemy is so attacking uh, your image of you. Is because you were made in the, his image. So if, if the enemy can get you to doubt you, who was made in his image, he's actually attacking how you see him, the one whose image in which you were made. You, you've got uh, three images, your true image, your perceived image, and your projected image. Your perceived image is the way you think people see you. Your projected image is the way you project yourself, hoping people will see you a certain way. And your true image is who you really are. When you get born again, your perceived image is not born again. Your projected image is not born again. Only your true image is born again. So your true image is empowered by God, infused by God. So if the enemy can get you to live in your perceived image or in your projected image, then even though your true image, which is empowered by God, is alive and well, you're not living out of that. You're living out of the way you think people see you. It, ha it, it impacts every area of our life. You, you know, uh, we, we worship different because of the way we think people are going to see us or the way we hope they see us when we worship. We, we, we uh, deal with people outside, you know, in the secular world and on the job. We deal with people from our projected image and from a perceived image. We're constantly outside our true image. And it's the, it's the true you that God sent Jesus to give Zoe to. See, you, you just ain't got a whole bunch of power 
in your projected image. You might think you do. You might think it looks good. You might think, wow, that, that, let's look at how people are. And you can mess with people, and they will respond to the image that you live out of. But you don't have any freedom. You don't have any victory in a projected image. Because when you go to bed at night, it's you that went to bed. And you lay awake on your bed all night, you know, worried and confused and empty and, and defeated and disappointed. Why? Because you're living from a projected image. Because your perceived image is so messed up. Well, what you've got to do is realize that God wants to show you who you are. Because he is in God. God is impressed with you. Not, not with your perceived image. Not with your projected image. But with your true image. God loves you. Not that other thing. Not that other guy. Not that, not, not that whatever that is. God has sent his word to heal the true you, not the pretend you, not the fantasy you, the true you. Should we look at some scripture? Look at Psalms uh, 100. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. We're going to talk about this for a minute. Make a joyful shout. Make a joyful shout. Hooah. A lot of times, you know, well, we, we don't have to, you know, I, I'm just not into that shouting thing. Well, you better read your Bible. Because someday, you're going to spend eternity with a bunch of crazy people. Okay? And you're going to, can you imagine, get the picture, you go to heaven, and there's all of this noise, and, and the word rejoice is such a cool word. It means to jump up and down, spin around, climb our sleigh, making a loud, foolish noise. And there's going to be this one guy that's just going nuts. And you're going to say, hey, Pete, you know, because Peter's going to walk you around. You know, you've heard all the jokes, right? When you get to the gate and there's Peter. So obviously that's true. And, and Peter's going to walk you around and he's going to show you around town there. And, and you're going to hear this noise, constant noise and see this commotion. And there's going to be this one, you know, mansion that's bigger than the rest. And it's just vibrating and shaking. What is going on in there? Who is that? Oh, that's God. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee, he is mighty. He will rejoice over you with singing. You know, God's making a lot of noise. Make a joyful shout. The shout, I don't want you to get too nervous this morning because you're thinking, oh, my God, he's going to make a shout. Now, I want to talk about the joyful part. What is the sound that comes out of your life? Make a joyful shout. Make a joyful shout. Make a joyful, let me tell you something about joy. Real joy Real joy can only be experienced by the true you. See, your, your, your perceived image, your projected image, you can act like you're happy, but you know you're not. You think, you perceive that there are some things that are going to produce joy, but they don't. But your, your true identity, he can know joy. A lot of people, well, remember this statement, the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. So joy is your strength. That's why the enemy is attacking your joy, because if he can get you to let go of your joy, if he can rip from your grip joy, then you ain't got no strength. I like looking at that word, uh, that scripture backwards, that my strength is the joy of the Lord. That 
you know, it's not, when I say my story, I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about the, my, in my true identity, because guess where my true identity is at? In Christ. I have crucified, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I'll live. Yet it's not I that live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, the life I now live, I now live the life, not a life, the life. We're talking about the life, God life. When I'm living that life, I've stepped into my true identity. My, that's in that strength. When I'm in that strength, that's what brings joy to the Lord. My strength is the joy of the Lord. It makes God, you know, there are some things that just, come on, dads. There are some things that make a, a father thrill when, when he sees his son or his daughter operate in their, real, in their glory. You know, when, when they step into themselves and, and they really are living life and they're being who they've been called to be. Man, there ain't nothing, no greater joy than to know my children are walking in the light, in the truth. There's no greater joy. It's the joy of a father to see a son in his strength. It's the joy of the father to see you living, moving, operating in your strength. Where, where you're demonstrating Satan's defeat on a daily basis. Your lifestyle is an absolute humiliation to hell. When, when you can stand without any you know, embarrassment, no humiliation, and just say, I live for God. Deal with it. I don't care what anybody else thinks, says, does. You know, because I, and that used to really mess with us, didn't it? What are our, what are our friends going to say if we serve God? And we had this weird picture of what it meant to serve God. Got to run around town with a family-sized Bible. All the Christians I met growing up, they looked pissed. So, uh, you know, got to lose my, you know, well, just saying. I know it's Sunday morning, but it's the first service, and you've had caffeine. You know, I've been baptized and pickled juice and holier than thou. And, and, and they set up hoops and set them on fire for you to jump through. And it had nothing to do with God. They just like watching you jump through there. Come on now. And you, we used to be afraid. Well, man, if, if, I, if I serve God, everybody's going to think I'm nuts. Well, then I found out who God was and found out it wasn't everybody. It was, I was nuts. That picture that I had of, of living for God. And this is after growing up in church. And I don't mean we went to church, you know, once or twice a month. Like some of y'all. No, we were good people. Psst. Well, in, in, our, in our own estimation, we were really good. Because uh, we were in church every day. Well, it was who we were. That was a lifestyle. We had the tent. We played, you know, at seven years old, I, I could play Chet Atkins' guitar. So that kind of grew a crowd in certain circles. And so I was in church my whole life, and you have no idea how many angry, bitter people I've played guitar for. So you kind of get the impression if you smile, they think you're on crack. And they want to cast the devil out of you or something. And, 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 and you know, you get this weird picture of what it is to serve God. And so all of a sudden, your image is screwed up. You don't, and, and you know what's funny is most of us, we have no idea that most of our decisions, most of our actions are based out of a perception that we have of what other people are going to think. And then we say, I, I'm serving God. Well, the word serve means to yield in obedience to. So when you're in your perceived image, you can't serve God because you're serving others. 
Why do I struggle? Why? Why? I've asked God to do what he said he would do. No, you, you, you didn't. Your projected image did. And what's sad is that your projected image prays a lot, but God doesn't listen. Because he don't hear your projected image. He, he only hears your true image. So joy, joyful shout, that's not the shout that comes out of you. The shout that comes out of you is not joyful. It's angry. It's bitter. It's broken. It, it's paralyzed. See, I, I could say, hey, let's all shout, and we, I could get you all to do it, but the fact of the matter is, is that for a lot of us, it wouldn't even be real. Because to have a joyful shout means joy's got to be in there. Look, look at the next one. This is so good. Serve the Lord with gladness. <laughs> sure. I'll tell you what now. That would be a breakthrough. Serving with gladness. Serving the Lord with gladness. If we're not careful. See, a lot of us, we begin to serve. You know, it's really cool. Let, let, me, just, let me just say this to you. Now, don't, don't be getting depressed. Be getting enlightened. Let's have breakthrough. But don't, you know, there's therefore now no condemnation. We're all in the same boat. We've all been lied to. We've all been deceived. And all we want to do is step out into the light. But a lot of times we serve from a perceived image. Because if I don't get in and do something... You know, they won't think of me the way I should. Or, or this is the image, that the more I do, the more I'm worth. The more I do, the more valuable I become. And today, you, ha you really have to hear me. You know, we have a pretty healthy church. Uh, we have the hard workers party uh, today. About 50%, I think, of people who will be in church today will be back tonight. Why? Because they serve all year. Do you realize that's crazy good? 50% participation? Now, you know me, I'm believing for like 99.9, .9, but, uh, but, but from the true image, right? See, do, do not ever think that the more you do, the more valuable you become. Because you're already incredibly valuable. Your value is not based off of what you do. I, I can't do more and get God to love me more. If, if, if I do more and more and more, God's just, his love for me is exactly the same. And if I do nothing, he's still going to love me just the way he did when I was doing everything. So are you saying we don't have to do anything? <laughs> yes. I'm saying we don't have to do anything. If you ever think you have to do something, stop it. Because you're stepping into your perceived image. Now I get to serve the Lord with gladness. I thank God for doors he's opened up in my life to serve. I think you ought to be thrilled that God's doing something and he's allowing me to participate. I mean, forget you. Probably shouldn't pause so long there, huh? <laughs> I have to just think about me. I know me. 
I know stuff about me you don't know. And I'm not telling. Because you make up enough on your own. You don't need my help. It's kind of funny watching the ducks and the beavers play yesterday. And the announcers would say stuff about the beavers. Beavers were doing pretty good, weren't they? First quarter. And, and uh, unfortunately, there's like three of those things. But anyway, in the first quarter. But, but they were saying, you know, and I told TJ, I said, you know, the, as we started the game, I said, you know, it'll be little mistakes by, by the ducks that the beavers could take advantage of. The problem is, is that the beavers can't make any. And as the game went on, the announcer would say, uh, when you're playing the number one ranked team in the nation, they don't need your help. See, I don't need to give you ammo. You're doing fine on your own. But I know stuff about me. I know, you know, I know the stupid decisions I've made and the thoughts I've had and the things I've said and the actions I've performed. And I think, and God's, is allowing me to participate in what he is doing? Well, I got news where I'll serve him with gladness. A week ago or so, you know, when the snow first started coming in, uh, you know, Charles Darby pulls up, and I'm out there, and, and you know, and, and the doors are open, and people are coming in, but they had to climb over snow, so I'm, I'm shoveling stuff, and Charles jumps out, and he says, what are you doing? shoveling snow his daddy called him son but it wasn't because he was bright of course he knew what i was doing you know you shouldn't be doing that and i thought why shouldn't i be somebody's got to do it i'm thrilled to do it i just serve god i i gotta tell you something you know some days i can get a bad attitude but it's really not about serving the lord i love serving the lord Today, when you, you know, when you leave and another service comes in and when they leave and then we take all the chairs out of here, I don't care if anybody helps or not. I think it's your opportunity, but I, I don't care. I'm, and, and, and you won't be here, right? Because you'll be gone recaffeinating. <laughs> I just love, I love to serve the Lord of God. But you know what? If you, if you complain about everything you have to do, Realize you're in your perceived image. I can't believe we have to do this. No, you're you're, you're in, in your perceived image and, and, and you're stepping into your projected image. And no matter what you do, no matter how good it is, you don't even get credit. In other words, in other words you're wasting time. Wouldn't it be a bummer at the end of life to stand before God? And, you know, what we want to hear him say is, well done. Not, well, you're done. <laughs> and and what, you, what you don't want him to ask after, well, you're done, is what exactly did you do? What did you do with that life I gave you? See, I think that we need to commit. We need to move from being connected to God to being committed to God. From being connected to the house to being committed to the house. From being connected to the body to being committed to the body. Well, what does that mean? To commit means to willingly step into a room that you know has no exits. Think about that for just a minute. I know some of us have been through all kinds of different life things, but and I don't want to make you feel bad you know if you're working on your you know 
fifth marriage or something, that's all right. But how come in America over half the marriages end in divorce? Because we really don't understand commitment. Come on. You know, I told my first wife that uh, <laughs> that I was committed for life, which meant she'd kill me if I did anything else, right? No exits, no exits. So when you commit to prosper, you're putting yourself in a position where there is no exit. I'm, I'm go- Again, if all you see is money signs, you need somebody to slap you hard. I mean, financially, you have to prosper, but emotionally, you know, prosperity begins in your soul. I, I wish above all things that you'd prosper and be in health as your soul prospers. The way you think, the way you feel, the way you make your choices, that's where, that's where you want to make the investments. See, we talk about economic recession, uh, and, and that has such a huge impact on our society. I tell you, that recession, the word recession means a response to a given report. I choose not to participate in that recession because I have a different report. The economical recession that, that's damaging the church is in the soul realm because there's such great poverty of soul. We're in recession. We don't even believe that life gets better when we show up. And we came out of God. We are focused on mistakes we've made and failures that we've experienced and, and, and the wrong things that we've committed and performed. Yeah, we've made mistakes, but reality is, is that when you stand in the presence of God, when God looks at you, you stand righteous, holy, and blameless in his sight. See, one of the things you've got to remember is that the only, the only you that actually gets in the presence of God is the true you. Your true identity is the, only, is the only part of you that can enter into the presence of God. Now, the presence of God is where the anointing's at. The anointing is where the power is. The power, the power is the ability to produce results. Remember, they used to carry, in, in, in the Old Testament, they carried the presence around on a box, remember? Called the Ark of the Covenant. And everywhere they had that, good things happened for them, for God's people. You know, they, they'd go up against, you know, uh, multiple armies gathered together against them and, and, and be greatly outnumbered, but they'd come walking in with that box, you know, and they had that anointing, and if it was in that box, they'd walk in there and they'd win. Why? Because the anointing is from the presence. The presence is the power. The power. I got, guys, I've got to tell you something. The word of God, you, you carry this in you. You are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. When the Philistines stole the box, remember? And they had it for a bunch of years, but while they had it, it produced results, but they were the wrong kind. <laughs> I would say something about, hey, he's probably had similar experience. I just don't know. 
Uh, here, here's, here's the deal. When the Philistines, if, for, if, you don't, if you don't understand, the Philistines, when the Philistines had the covenant, the Ark of the Covenant, they all got hemorrhoids. It's in the Bible. They all got hemorrhoids. They couldn't wait to get rid of the box. They didn't even want to get rid of the box wrong. We got to do this right. Let's you know, handle this thing right. And they went, you know, this is a great story. You should go read it. But, uh, they, they couldn't get, they, they just couldn't wait. <laughs> do you blame them? That's because when the wrong people have the right stuff, the wrong results are still the end result. Right? So when the right people have the right stuff, they get the right result. So David says, you know what, man, they're giving it back. We're going to go get it. And they went in there and they, they grabbed that box and they come out of there and Uzzah reaches up and touches it. And he probably shouldn't have because he's dead now. And really freaked out David. And so they said, we got we to get rid of this box. So they, they, they were coming back, and they, they, out, in the, out in the country, there was a guy by the name of Ob- Obed-Edom, <laughs> and, the, and he was just a farmer. And they, so they swung down the drive to go to Obed-Edom's house. We're going to leave the box at Obed's house. And Obed-Edom and the kids and the wife and everybody, they see, every, they see this huge, you know, entourage coming, and, and, and they, you know, it's the king. Oh, man, Lord, the king's coming to the house. And they pull up outside, and they say, how you doing, Obed? He goes, good, what's up? And they say, we're leaving this box here. What is it? Don't touch it. <laughs> you know, that's about all the instruction he got is don't touch it. King leaves, the entourage leaves. Obed sitting at the dinner table that night. Kids ate all their vegetables. That's weird. What's up with the kids? I don't know. The teenage boy looked at him and said, what do you mean, Dad? He got up and said, can I take your plate? Bubba said, what are you going to do with it? I'm going to do the dishes tonight. You and Mom, have some quiet time together. When they picked Mrs. Obed up off the floor, (laughs) they went and sat by the rock fireplace for a while and she decided, you know, well, it's getting kind of late. Better tell the kids to go to bed. And she went in, and the dishes were washed and dried and put away. And she looked around, can't find the kids. She goes upstairs, and the kids are already in bed. Wow. She goes down. She tells Obed, the kids are already in bed. And he said, well, maybe we should do the same. This is just so bizarre. This is crazy. And they, they, went, they went to sleep, got up the next morning, get the kids up. They had already gotten up. The boy had already gone out to milk the cow. Instead of getting three gallons of milk, he got seven. The girl already collected the eggs. Instead of getting two dozen, she had 14 dozen. What's going on? I don't know, but it looks good. Kids were early to school, and Obed went out to work that day, and on the farm machinery that wouldn't run yesterday today, he had no problem with. Went to wells that he had to prime, and they were already primed, and they produced. Everything he touched seemed to just turn to gold. He got, he got so excited, he took off work early that day and headed for the house. He wanted to tell Mrs. Obed. As he pulled up in front of the house, there she stood in the doorway in Victoria's Secret. He said, Where, what about the kids? She said, they're at your mama's house. The blessing of the Lord maketh one rich. It got so good, the news traveled to town that David come back out and picked it up and said, you, you don't get to keep this. We're taking it. Study your book, and you find out that Obed-Edom became a gatekeeper at the temple where they stored the ark. He sold the farm. Why? Because once you've lived with the presence of God, you'll never live without it again. 
once your true identity steps out and you experience the true anointing of God, the presence of God on your life, you won't knowingly step back out. And what the enemy does is he does it so slow and so gentle that you don't realize you're not living out of your true image. You're not really who God sent his son to die for. You don't realize because, because you're unhappy with the true you. You, you can't imagine the true you actually being forgiven. You project an image that says, I believe. But your true image doesn't live like you believe. In order to attempt to deceive everyone else, you have to first be willing to deceive yourself. James hit it. We just don't see it. He said, you got to be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. See, if you're looking at your life and you're not doing what God's word says you can do, then you've deceived yourself. If you're not walking in victory, it's because you're in deception. Because your true identity, your true image, well, if that came out of God, how could you possibly defeat that? How could God in you, if, if, if God in you, if it's not I that live, but Christ that liveth in me, how could I be defeated? How do you defeat Christ? If God be for us, who cares who's against us? Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. But I got to get, I got to get into my true image. It says in 2 Corinthians somewhere, 5, 9, whether we are at home, that means on earth, away from him, or away from home with him, we are constantly ambitious and strive earnestly to be pleasing to him. And why that's important is because your perceived image, you're trying to please you, and your projected image, you're trying to please others. But your true image, you were made to please God. You ever ask yourself, in my current situation, what would really be pleasing to God? I mean, what would really be pleasing to God? You, you know, if there's just chaos in your world, wouldn't peace be pleasing to God? Lack is present. Wouldn't provision be pleasing to God? Sickness is there. Wouldn't health and healing be pleasing to God? We strive to please him. Look at verse 10. For we must all appear and be revealed as we are. Not as we think we are and not as we hope you see us. But as we are. There's a lot in this scripture. And this morning, I, I, I'm just about done. So I'm not going to, I just want to look at that one phrase. We'll be revealed as we are. See, it's you that God loves. It's you. Not only 
Do you need to make a commitment to prosper? You need to make a commitment to celebrate. And you need to celebrate you. I think this season, you know, as you get ready to buy gifts and open gifts, you need to live and be a gift. You are the gift. Romans 12 in the message, Shelb, is that the one that says, here's what I want you to do. Take your everyday life, the way you eat, the way you sleep, the way you go to work. Give that as your offering to God. Because recognizing what God has done in and for you and in spite of you is the greatest thing you can do for God. To realize that, you know what, God so loved me that he gave his only begotten son. Don't, don't buy into the deception. Don't let, the, don't, don't, don't let your mind play tricks on you. That if you accept the love God offers you, that you're going to be something that you're not or someone that you're not or that, you know, some crazy, I don't know what, what picture has been burned into your, you know, cognitive and non-cognitive mind that when you hear, you know, the word church or God or, or salvation, I don't know what you see. I grew up in church and I didn't see it right. Don't let any picture that you have in your mind stop you for a moment from embracing the love that God has for you. I don't know what fear you have, you know, what, 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 what drama you've experienced, what habits you're grappling with. That, put all that aside and realize that in order to be who God's created me to be, I got to let him love me. I got to let him love me. Not who I want you to think I am and not who I think you think I am, but I got to let God love me. All that other stuff, maybe we can deal with that later. I think you'll find out, like many of us have, that a lot of the stuff that we think is going to be messed with, God don't even care about. All he's after is you. It's you. You got to let him love you. You got to commit to celebrate. I think it's vital. I think it's important that we learn to celebrate others. But you, you know what? If you don't celebrate you, your celebration of others is not really sincere. I don't want to celebrate your perceived image. I don't want to celebrate your projected image. Today I want you to know I, I want to celebrate the true you that God sent his son to die for so that your true self could be empowered by God to demonstrate Satan's defeat on a daily basis so that you could rise up right where you are and say, you know what? As for me and my house, we're going to serve God with gladness. That joyful shout, that's easy. That's easy from the true 
you. Look, look at that Psalms again one more time, right where we started. We're going to read it real quick, and then we're done. That's a different one. Psalms 100. Make a joyful shout to the Lord. I tell you what, if you ever step into your true image, we, we won't have to make you shout. We'll have to make you stop it. You'll have to backslide to go to bed at night. Look at verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. See, here's the deal is that until you're thankful, until, until you're glad, you can't even get in his presence. But why does the enemy want you so upset about what's going on? So that you'll live from the wrong image, so that you can possibly get into the presence of God. Because if you ever get into the presence of God, you're going to be changed. Look at verse 3. Know that the Lord, he's God. He's God. He made us. We didn't make ourselves. And we are his people. And that's a white hanky moment. We are his people. My people shall dwell in a peaceful habitation, a secure dwelling, a quiet. What, whose people? His, we are his people. The sheep of his pasture. Shut up. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Get in his carts with praise. Why does the enemy, enemy want to rob you of those things? So you can't get in. There's only one way in. Gentlemen. You, 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 you want to make your marriage better? Realize that your intimate relationship with your wife starts before you go through the gate. You know, enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. You're just on your way in with praise. Praise is where we're talking about God. Worship's where we're talking to God. Praise is we're running around giving it a high five. Yeah, God's good. Woohoo! And the music is playing and we're celebrating. That's bringing us to the place where we're going to step into his presence and we're going to quiet down and we're going to talk to him now. Well, in your marital relationship, how do you talk about your wife? what a lot of guys are hearing right now. Okay, girls. How do you talk about your husband? It's how you talk about him in the street that's setting you up for the level of success you're going to have in an intimacy level. We may have to teach on this. Some of you guys are going... What? 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 See, a lot of us, we have a hard time getting in the presence of God because all day long we've said everything bad was God's fault. When you're living out of your projected image or out of perceived image, you're under the assumption that everything bad happens to you. That God's probably trying to teach your stupid self something. Really, you end up demented and perverted in your thought processes, and all of a sudden you can't get into the presence of God. Why? Because you're living dumb. 
And he is the truth, and the truth doesn't mix with deception. So since you're deceived, you can't come in. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. Oh, my God. The Lord is good. Man, are, are you just a Jesus freak? Yes. Because he's good. He's good. His mercy outlasts everything. His truth endures all generations. It's easy in your true image to get this. But you got to let your true image be loved by God. This morning, I want you to close your book. And 